Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. And like women have written and said, oh, I don't want to put it on my partner, you know, that he has to wait for me. Screw that. He, sh- well, he should want to wait. Yeah, you know, that, right. that is the goal, yeah. you know? So, so I think a lot of women need to give themselves permission to have pleasure and to, to be with somebody who really cares that it feels good for them. You know, that is like sort of the, 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 the most ancient of misogyny, right? Mm-hmm. Like that women are just a tool and it's just bizarro yeah. that, that we're still teaching young girls this in some really mm-hmm. psychotic ways. Like mm-hmm. this whole thing is about you. It's mm-hmm. not about him and his erection and whether it lasts. And like, can you imagine a world where that was like how it was? And men were actually like serving. I had one boyfriend in my 20s. He was French, of course. Learned how to make love in India. And, <laughs> and, uh, and he wasn't even that attractive, truthfully. But he was so masterful. <laughs> he used to tell me, you know, your pleasure is like feeding my soul. The, the power, that's That's why, you know, in Adam and Eve, they call it the forbidden fruit. That is so profound Mm -hmm. and so profoundly profoundly transformative. It doesn't just pleasure a woman. It pleasures the, the partner. And like, you can't get closer to God than that. Do you have any advice? Because you are describing my husband. He tries to get it all on me. And I'm like, no, let's just make this five minutes and (laughs) get over So if you have that kind of husband, but you're like internally, let's just get this over with with. any advice as to like how to change. So like, I I think a few things are really just like markers, right? Don't want to get somewhere right? Like the idea that the the end is a climax sort of sets everybody up for failure in some ways. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, so sometimes that'll happen and sometimes it won't. I mean, I married my husband when I was like 22 and I didn't know any of those things. And, um, and actually sadly I met that boyfriend after I got married, but no children. I did live in France. We were oceans apart, but in any case, uh, I came back much better prepared. Um, but, but we would fight in those early days about like, you know, if he would come early and I wasn't right. Like that whole performance thing. I just want to say that is like, so the wrong path, like mm-hmm. it's never going to go where you want for either mm-hmm. of you. Right. Cause yeah. then he's just going to feel bad. Oh my God. And if a guy really loves you, that just makes him feel bad. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, even if just for a minute, every time you give yourself permission to feel some kind of pleasure, that might just be manual, like you're touching your own clitoris. And actually the number of women who still do not masturbate themselves 
is sort of astounding. So mm -hmm. if you don't know what feels good, how can you rely on your partner to show you that? And if they do somehow miraculously find it, then you're going to think that that orgasm belongs to them. No, it's yours. <laughs> and you give it to people. <laughs> So, yes. so, so like, even if it, the sexual act is, I'm going to see what feels good. And I'd love for you to sort of touch yourself at the same time or watch me or here, let me show you where I like it or this kind of pressure, just learn together so mm -hmm. that you feel good. Like mm -hmm. it should just feel good, right? Like you shouldn't feel self-conscious about just feeling good for a minute. Give yourself one minute, you know, and it's interesting how we focus all our energy on one erogenous zone. You know, a lot of women who've had breast cancer will actually say, you know, that their nipples, and especially after you've nursed or anything like that, we neglect how incredibly awakening, like stimulation of the nipples are mm -hmm. for like waking up the genital area or even inner thigh, you know, nape of the neck. I always say the sexiest moment is the moment before the sex when yeah. you can't wait anymore. I also think that many, many young women, especially if you're taking care of babies, you have your own career, you're trying to juggle all the things, were for many good reasons, not really um, permissive of our own erotic internal life. And certainly for many women, pornography doesn't do it for them. Some feminist pornography is more story-based and that works more. Bridgerton. But I have, always <laughs> have you watched Bridgerton? <laughs> Bridgerton, right? Yeah, yeah, that's like prime time. That kind of build um, up like the... that. Guy? Jeez. I think I a lot of people were having part, some, but... some good sex after watching Bridgerton. <laughs> yeah, because... I, I actually only got to the second episode, but that, that makes me feel like I'm going to finish it this week. <laughs> but you know, um, erotica in a book, there's so many different topics of erotica in a book. You can keep it hidden away in your drawer. And, you know, you just get these ideas that you give yourself permission to have. Fantasy is such the rocket fuel for our sexuality. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of theories, but I really like the idea that just to the way our subconscious mind, while we sleep at night, tries to take what we're challenged with and turn it into something that we can grapple with. Well, that's what happens with our fantasy life, right? It takes what's painful in our childhood and tries to eroticize things. So, so that's how people get fetishes and mm -hmm. things that they can't really understand, but it doesn't actually matter if you understand it truthfully. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a great book called Your Brain on Sex that explains this concept and was really life-changing for me. Mostly it was life-changing because I just let myself have them. Then mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I, I know it's psycho. I don't really think this ever happened to me before, but I'm going to let myself think it. Mm -hmm. So I think you'd be surprised if you stop just getting it over with and let yourself just have a moment to know your own erotic soul, which doesn't belong to your partner, but it's it literally is rocket fuel that actually creates, that is the source of your creativity. All of your best ideas come from that place. Yeah. So that's the tragic thing about when women like really just turn off to sex after they have a baby. Yeah. And sometimes they never turn back on, what right? I, like that what? is the time when most women, if they're going to stop having sex is after they have a child because they don't like their body image or they sort of had these erotic injuries they could never resolve or they, they just want to get it over with.
So I just want to say that does not go anywhere good. Something I think is really interesting. So we're both military spouses and our community is, is filled with, you know, military families. Like as bizarre as it was to me you at first. must really make a wave there. I just <laughs> have to say, those yeah. women are like, whoa, do you know those two? <laughs> yeah. well, they so like look for you in the grocery it's a, store. It's a small, like, it's a small right. town too. Yeah. <laughs> so some of the best sex that my husband and I ever had was when he was deployed. And so not penetrative sex, right. but emotional connection, uh, one longing, one missing that person. And then, and then having to explore our own bodies was like something right. that we hadn't, you know, had never really done before. That and was how really... much is it better when he gets back, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you yeah. have all these tools to have... like, Oh, yeah. actually, look, at this is what I learned when you were gone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And I have a yeah. baby now because <laughs> there's lots of, so it's so funny. Like we have in this community, baby rushes. It's a, it's mostly special forces out here. And so there's the depl- different deployment cycles and there'll be like a rush of babies and then a lull and then a rush of babies and a lull. <laughs> so, you know, we have a new uh, fertility product that also protects oh. the biome, yep. which is very different for, and, and, I, and it did happen to me at one point between my second and third child where I couldn't get pregnant for like three and a half years. Mm. It was like so many painful cycles, but so this new product is called biogenesis. So if you know women that are trying to get pregnant and they can't, we have a lot of anecdotal evidence. And the great thing is, is that it protects the pH and the isoosmolality of the biome. Mm -hmm. And it only goes up to seven when there's sperm or cervical mucus. So it doesn't push the biome out of whack, Mm -hmm. which is the only for Utility product on the market like that, but you should tell your town of moms yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, they might be like, "Yeah, I'm done. I already have." <laughs> Probably like over a year ago, I had talked to a company called uh, Natalist. They had sent me some samples. Yeah, sell them are their lube. So is yeah. it because I, I think I had said is that like how you it's got like, pregnant? Did you get pregnant on Natalist? I had samples right right around the time my husband got home. So maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that was that was our lube that we sell to them. Okay. Third wow. word, we can't get that product to work. It's like such an amazing product. The women that use it, just like a lot of them, get pregnant first time. Actually, yeah. I mean, it's really a beautiful. That's the biogenesis. That's the biogenesis. Yeah. yeah. But and I mean, it's nice even if you're not trying to get pregnant. It's got a much more rigorous testing protocol when you're trying to do fertility lube. But, you know, we launched it right at the beginning of COVID when everybody's like, don't get pregnant. So literally the worst product launch of all time, but Mm -hmm. we we hope it'll rebound. And I Mm -hmm. think that places like Natalist have been doing well because... You know, people who just get pregnant can get their tests and, you know, all these other kinds of products. Mm-hmm. But it is a great mm-hmm. lube, actually, just in case you, you're, you've you got a four-month-old, so you're going to wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> no, no, no babies for a little while. <laughs> so as a mom of four, what are the biggest tips that you would give a postpartum mom for reconnecting? So like you have a baby, you might have had tearing or a C-section, you're tired, you're just like, your world is rocked. And like the last thing you have energy for is your husband. Especially if they're not helping the way you thought they would help or need their help. And I think that that happens a lot. I wrote this book a long time ago. And one thing I would say about sex is that it's often the thing that gets blamed for a bad relationship. And it's often also the last thing that breaks. So what breaks first is the way that we communicate. 
So if people aren't really disclosing what's going on for them, and we're keeping it all on the surface or being dishonest, dishonesty is just like, people always think that's infidelity, but there's so many ways we can be dishonest with people. Mm -hmm. And so it breaks the same trust mechanism. So if you don't feel safe in a kind of communicating way, or somebody like sort of shuts you down or uses sarcasm, that's like the, literally that's the currency of air in your relationship. So like, if you can't breathe, not only could a fire not start, but you can't breathe. So I just want to say like John Gottman, the one thing that everybody knows about John Gottman is that contempt is like the number one killer in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So if you can't be kind, to your partner, like even how you ask for something like pass me the toilet paper or, you know, what time are you going to come to bed? Or, oh my God, I can't pull myself out of bed. Can you please just bring me that baby? You know, like whatever it is. But if you say it like that, that's really different than God, give me the toilet paper, right? Like (laughs) how we talk, how we say what we say carries way more weight than the words. So mm-hmm. just so you know, yeah. Yeah. and then yeah, the showing up thing, especially, I think this is a real challenge in military families when, you know, um, people go away and they're witness to terrible, terrible things, things that really challenging to digest, or they're just literally a world apart. I mean, I'm married to a psychiatrist and sometimes I would be, oh, the Christmas tree or whatever. And meanwhile, he's talking to somebody whose kid just suicided, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, sometimes you have to work really hard to figure out what that means to show up for somebody. I have to be able to hear him say that and be like, you know what, never mind about the stupid Christmas tree, you know, and he has to be able to sometimes, you know, sort of put that down, or be able to say, you know what, I just can't, let go of my day or Mm -hmm. the stuff that happened to me on this deployment, you know, I need to get therapy because I can't get it out of my head. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to be there for you, right? Like, even if he can't be there for you, but he could say that Mm -hmm. then you would, you would love it more. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, yeah, I really want to help you. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like relationships are 50, 50, they're never 50, 50. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they're 90, 10 for a long time. But, but if we don't like show up in them in whatever part we bring, Mm-hmm. then, you know, that's like the water, right? It's like, yeah, it's so not good. safe. Um, and I, and I think that how we think about what we're doing, how we think about who we are, and so many people are so polluted about their own self-esteem, right? Like, even if there was a Mack truck of love coming at them, they'd be like, no, that's not my truck. That must belong to somebody else, mm-hmm. right? Like they mm-hmm. can't mm-hmm. receive anything themselves. And, the, and then they probably also think bad things about their relationship or their partner. And I just want to say that stuff is never really secret. It's like people know that. So it's like, if you can't get those pieces working at all, how are you going to build a fire with somebody when you're in a major life transition? Mm-hmm. Right. right? Like mm-hmm. you've had this big body change. You suddenly have this kid on you all the time, which just want to say so jealous. If I could have a baby now, I would like <laughs> drop everything I'm doing and have another kid. Because literally, so it is sweet. like the best part of mm-hmm. your whole life. Mm-hmm. So it's try so to good. really pay attention. I, and I was really overwhelmed with four kids a lot. But when I think, even then, I think when I think about my life, it was like, you know, children who love you. Oh my God. When are you ever going to be loved like that again? Mm-hmm. Never. So true. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah. I think this. You'll second- never. You'll never know that kind of intimacy, 
even with your partner. And I think that's kind of hard for women after they have a baby. They're like, oh, I thought I always loved this guy the best. No, there's no way he's even close to that baby. Yeah, um, but, you know, yeah. but you try, right? Like you try to love him and bring him into it. And partly that's possible when he tries, when he love. falls in love with that baby and, and you know, really admires how much work it takes for you to make that work, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think all those pieces make you able to come back to that sexy part of yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how like, you can come back to it without that, but then yeah. you start to remember because you've touched yourself. Oh, that's right. I do. You know, love oil, kind of the scent thing yeah. wakes up that arousal mechanism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have to teach ourselves about our own eroticism. We can't like have somebody be responsible to make us sexy. Mm-hmm. That is like a really doom. It's a very doomful way to approach a relationship. Mm-hmm. Bobby watched the baby while well, he's watching the baby now and, and watched the baby today. I had a client and when I got home, he was like, the baby was napping and he was emptying the dishwasher and putting away the dishes. And I was like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what are those turn-ons now are like yeah. way different than, yeah. than before, you know, like emptying the dishwasher before whatever, no big deal. Now, now it's like, oh, that's one last yeah. thing that I have to do. And so then I, you can flip into that brain uh, exactly. a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. Like you're on the same team, right? Yeah, you absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we would struggle with that because I was like super the primary caretaker. And, you know, he did his doctor thing, you know, 60 hours a week. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he was legitimately tired after oh, 60 yeah. hours psychiatry, oh but God. it seemed easier to me than what I was doing. You know, yeah. Honestly, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are, you really, are you kidding? Because look at, there's four of them here, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so, <laughs> um, you know, it, I think it's, it's a struggle to like, do that over time. Mm -hmm. But I think that when we are kind to each other and conscious of like what's ours and what's somebody else's to give us, and we really work on our own ability to receive something, even like I've been giving these talks for Valentine's Day. And if you know what you want for Valentine's Day, just like give everyone a break and tell them. Don't, don't yeah. like make it a secret and like have him set up to fail. Right. You know, if right. white roses, he'll go to three stores to find white roses, but then can you receive it? Or is it just like, Oh, I told him it doesn't really count. Yes. It counts when, when you tell somebody something and they do it, yeah. even if that's yeah. like throw your socks in the laundry basket, please. <laughs> I'm begging you. And then they do it. It's like, okay, that's good. I, I'll take it. Yeah. You know, yeah. So yeah. love is probably the greatest work we do in this life. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we do that's harder. And the fact that we complicate it with our sexuality makes it huge. It's like literally a masterpiece And then we get all these kids and, you know, they're all these free agents and you're trying to like keep them alive and, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and let them be themselves and a mess. I mean, I just want to say it's a mess. You know, you just keep doing it, right? You just keep showing up every day. So we've talked about this once on another podcast. Um, When, like, when do you start talking to your kids about sex? So when, when did you start talking to your kids? When they ask you, okay, okay, that's I a good answer. Say if a child is old enough to form a question, 
they're old enough for a real answer. Yeah, right. And the degree to which you're comfortable with your own pleasure, your own sexuality, that translates to them. My mm-hmm. kids, it was the opposite, right? They would be like, mom, you don't have a job. We're just going to a soccer game now. Please don't coach anybody on sex on the side. <laughs> no, they got really good in middle school. It's like my mom has a personal care company. You know, like, let's not talk about what it is. You know, when they were older in college. I wrote these books, Sex That Works, and my son would use it kind of as a pickup, right? He had it on his nightstand. Or- <laughs> these girls would come in and they'd be like, God, what's that book? He's like, My mom wrote that. They'd suddenly be all interested in him you know like Like when our kids are old enough to like have social media and see all of our reels and see all but like because Haley and I are always doing like pelvic floor stuff or we'll be talking about sex or periods or whatever at the dinner table they haven't asked any questions yet though (laughs) they're still pretty young for that by then who knows what will become of social media maybe it'll be off the air finally Um, (laughs) and we'll actually just talk to each other again Um, i think that there's a lot of studies that support the more information that kids have the better choices they make Mm -hmm. the longer they delay their sexual interactions the more protected they are in those interactions. You know, you see this in other countries too, right? Mm -hmm. There's other countries that are models of this. No, I mean, it's like even STIs. When you think about how little progress we've made in STIs and how taboo and ashamed people are, even though 20% of the American population has an STI right now, as we're speaking. And we know BV ups your chances for an STI by 60%. I said, okay, what, you know, this one works at the CDC. I'm like, what would you do? You know, and she's actually just wrote this book. It's going to be reviewed in the New York Times, Strange Bedfellows. She was saying, if I was queen of the world, I would like make everyone's sex education, not like, oh, don't have sex, you'll get an STI. Just be like, STIs are part of having sex. Mm-hmm. And this is how you don't spread them. Right. And this is how you right. make sure that it won't make you sicker. Yeah. You just make it a normal part of and people just are re- like responsible about it to whatever degree they're responsible and about anything. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I hope by the time your kids are old enough to give you hell about what you're doing when they're 13, <laughs> that that's true. You know, hopefully, yeah, right? For so, sure. It, yeah, it's just out there and it's just part of their their yeah, it's not a big deal. Like it's, it's not, not a big deal. deal. Like sex isn't a big deal. Yeah. Periods aren't a big deal. And I think that's our problem in America is sex ed was like, don't have sex. That was the sex ed. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like it See, is that, like that yeah. that actually set back this country in so many ways for a yeah. generation of people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's exciting that all these young millennials think they're inventing sex now as though, you know, we never were doing it or talking about it. Um, fine. They, they can own it if they want, you know, but there's a lot to catch up on. There's still at least 20 states that don't even teach anatomically correct sex mm-hmm. right, right now. Oh my you know, God. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do. You know, we know in women's health, there's nothing but research to do. But once something starts to get a little fire under it, basically, I didn't answer your question, but all of those elements we talk about makes you able to make a fire with somebody that you can keep coming back to, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. that's what sex is when you're in a monogamous long-term relationship, or yeah. even if you're not, yeah. right? even if you're in a 
polyamorous relationship. You know, you still need to bring all those things to um, to make a sex life not only like better over time, but that you walk out of the bedroom feeling as good as when you walked in. Yeah. Even if it doesn't work, maybe it doesn't, you don't always hit the mark. Okay, mm-hmm. that's all right. We'll try again in three nights. Yeah. See ya. No hard feelings. With having a, a baby, I feel like probably the last couple of times that we've been intimate, we get interrupted because the of baby course. wakes up or the older ba- kid wakes up. We we kind of like joke about it and talk about it being like, that's okay. Like at least, right. at least it's there. Like. For Many, many years, I had to stay up to like midnight for like a good 30 minute block. And so I'd like be exhausted, but I'd be like, okay. So, and then when I would use these bad lubes and I'd have to soak for two hours, basically mm. wake till 3 a.m., you know? Oh so God. that's yeah. commitment. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, that is yeah. commitment. That was really what made me start the company. Yeah. Literally. Wow. It yeah. was like, okay, I'm not doing this in the evening or the afternoon. And I can't have this burning mm-hmm. all night. So, so yeah, now we have the gift of good, clean love. You can communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment, and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead. 